Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everybody. I'm Howard David. We take a bite of the Big Apple with the great columnist from the New York Post, Mike Vaccaro. Mike, I'm watching the um, Yankees-Red Sox game the other night when uh, Domingo Herman had a no-hitter through seven innings. And you had to look in the dugout of Aaron Boone, the manager. I, I couldn't decide if he was stunned, waiting for the other shoe to drop or whatever, but it happened. And after that double... And then Herman was removed. You knew that it was probably the right move, but the bullpen, which has been a disaster all the year, all this whole year, uh, just—I mean, I've never seen a collapse like that in in such a short time by a good baseball team. Yeah, you know, everybody likes to jump on the manager when things fall apart, but uh, uh, the fact is that uh, you know Jonathan Lewisick has been pretty reliable all year, and all he was doing was. You know, putting the game or at least that the rest of that inning into the hands of a guy who's pretty much been lights out all year. And, uh, you know, sometimes players don't uh, uh, maximize what you would like them to, and, and, and it's the manager who has to pay for that. And, uh, you know, very unfortunate because uh, it's uh, it, it, it does seem to be a growing trend now. It seems like uh, there are just some years where managers press the wrong buttons. And uh, Aaron, certainly, Aaron Boone certainly has a collection of those already. Uh, Boston is now, I think, has 31 come-from-behind wins this year. A great credit to them. They're a really good baseball team. Uh, but now it's to the point, I- I'm just wondering if it's the point of no return. Uh, this is the worst, I think, the worst loss from a season where you kept waiting for that other shoe to drop or for the Yankees to provide some kind of a meaningful run. You're waiting for that to happen, and it just hasn't happened. So now we're getting very close to the trade deadline. Does that mean the Yankees are going to become sellers? I'd still be very surprised to see that, Howard. I mean, to me, if you're the Yankees, you know, you just have a different set of rules that apply to you. And uh, look, I guess if there's a a trade out there that blows them away for one of their core players, I mean, you have to at least uh, consider it. But uh, look, you're the Yankees. You're three and a half games out of the wild card. And, and there you go. The, well, the way baseball's playoffs are set up, I mean, you know, it, it, it is such a crapshoot that you get in, you win a wild card game, and suddenly you're in a best of five. And uh, you get through that best of five, suddenly you're step away from the World Series. And if you win that, I mean, you, you know where I'm, where I'm going with this. And the fact is, the Yankees are still very much in play. It's not like the Yankees are the Diamondbacks right now. They're not 34, 40 games under 500. Um, they're very much in the the. the the race for a wild card and uh you know yankee fans can turn their noses up with a wild card but the fact is that wild cards win world series and you know to, to, once you're in it you can allow your talent to take over and look i mean are these yankees a perfect team though 
but are they still better than most? Uh, certainly in the American League, I believe they are. Yeah. And uh, can they finish third in the AL East, which is what essentially would probably put them in position to get to the playoffs? Of course they could. And I think that that's really what the bigger picture is. I uh, spoke uh, earlier this year with uh, with Dale Murphy, the one-time Brave star. I've become friendly with Dale over the last several years. Uh, and he he this is the beginning of the year now. He doesn't like the Yankees roster because there's too much of players that have the ability to either hit home runs or strike out. Uh, there's not enough of the DJ LeMayus, guys that hit for average and occasionally hit for power. And he's, he's turning out to be right. You look at this lineup and you say to yourself, well, you know, they've got, I mean, Aaron Judge is, is clearly the, the, an important player. LeMayu is probably the most valuable player. But what do you do with a Stanton? What do you do with Gardner? Um, Sanchez has come alive after his disastrous last year. But, uh, I mean, does, he, does Stanton even have market value? And what could you get for him if you put him out there? That's a great question. I think that's what, uh, you know, part of what uh, I think what the Yankees are facing right now is, uh, is, is needing to try and make this right. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, look, I mean, that's, that's part of it. I mean, the, 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 the Yankees can talk all they want about, you know, pondering whether they want to be buyers or sellers. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to be the Pittsburgh Pirates and have guys that people want that, uh, that, that you can translate into, into usable parts for the future, and you're the Pirates. So you're always kind of in a state of rebuilding. Uh, the Yankees are never that way. And it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's a very curious time for them. So to me, I, mean, I think they really do have to, you know, in the old parlance, the old parlance dance with the guys who brought you, brung it, and dance with the girls who brought you, and see how far that takes you. Uh, Brett Gardner. Once upon a time, a very valuable part of the team. Well, look, they lose Hicks beginning of the year, uh, and that's a valuable piece, uh, at least to occupy center field. So Gardner, I would think, would have very little, if any, trade value. Uh, and I'm just wondering, you know, where this whole thing goes. They've got a lot of – look, we, we, when the Yankees acquired Garrett Cole, this was, this was huge. Uh, I still think the guy's an, a, an elite pitcher without question, but he's had his bumps and bruises as well. He has, and look, I mean, and that's the thing is, I think too often, especially Yankee fans who flick, I mean, we've seen things work out for them very well over the years. I mean, I think when when there's been a completely smooth ride, sometimes the 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 instinct or the the impulse anyway is to throw your hands up and and and, and show utter disgust and disdain. Um, and and, that, and that, that's the issue. It's like there there, there are no free rides, certainly not baseball. And uh, so, I mean, and, and I think that's where the Yankees are right now. It's like, are they, are they a perfect team? Of course not. But, I mean, I, don't, I look around baseball, I don't see a lot of perfect teams. I see a lot of imperfect teams. I especially see a lot of imperfect teams inside their division. I mean, the Rays and the Red Sox are very good teams, but they're not the 27 Yankees. And I think that uh, that's something that also has to go into the way that the Yankees are thinking about right now. Uh, so they have roughly 64 games remaining. They're eight games out in the loss column from Boston. Uh, that, that may be insurmountable. So the wild card may be their only option. Meanwhile, across the river, the Mets uh, are, are playing winning baseball. But even they, look, yesterday, it was a bizarre doubleheader. I mean, they get shut out 2 nothing in the first game. And then they win one nothing in the second game. These are two teams that have a lot of firepower in their lineups. And I got credited to just outstanding pitching. 
sometimes the pitchers do uh, make you want just to just tip your cap. I think that was the case yesterday, both sides of the ball. Um, and look, I mean, there is a, you know, that, 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 that you know, was certainly the, the, the trend in baseball up until the sticky stuff uh, was removed a couple of weeks ago. The, the, you know, the notion that that offense had disappeared from baseball, we kind of seen a resurgence. But uh, look, the fact of the matter is that uh, the, the, the laws of baseball have been the same for 150 years. Uh, you know, good pitching generally will figure out a way to beat good hitting on any given day. And I think we saw that yesterday. You look at, uh, at this Mets team right now. They got a four-game lead in the loss column over Philadelphia, six over the Braves. Um, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how it transpires. But I'm hearing a name linked with the Mets as, as a as a player that the Mets are going after wholeheartedly, and that's Max Scherzer. Uh, what would it take to get a Max Scherzer? That's going to be the sixty-four dollar question. I mean, I think the, 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 the Mets would prefer not to give it up any up any of their current major leaguers. Um, uh, and, I, 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 and I think that's doable. I think they have a couple of high-end minor players that the, the Nationals might be interested in. And of course, and then you get into a, you know, into a hand-wringing situation. Do you want to deal in terms of, you know, high-end prospects with, with somebody in your own division? Uh, but Max Scherzer is, of course, the kind of player that, uh, that, that, that makes you want to think about that. And, and look, I mean, assuming that DeGrom can come back and be and be something in the last couple of months of the season, you know, then you start thinking about getting into the playoffs and throwing DeGrom and Scherzer games one, game two. All of a sudden you start thinking about yourselves as real contenders in the postseason. So it's something that I think is not only just tempting for the Mets, but I think they are going to try and pursue that and see, see what happens. I mean, they're, they're not going to give up the entire ranch for them, obviously. Um, but I do think that it, uh, it, it certainly is enough to, uh, of an intrigue to put those, guys, the, the, those two together at the top of the rotation. Meanwhile, I was talking with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. You look at this lineup, and, I mean, you got some guys. I think Dominic Smith right now, he's a guy that if I was a pitcher, I'd be scared to death to face. This guy goes all fields. Uh, he can hit for power. He can hit. Uh, I mean, he comes up with big hits more often than he doesn't. We know about Pete Alonzo. We know he can drive the long ball. And then the acquisition of Francisco Lindor, and I still maintain that this is going to pay dividends for the Mets. Oh, I do too. And look, I mean, I think uh, you know Lindor was, you know, he's going to get he's going to get smacked around because of his low batting average. But that's just one aspect of the game of the game he brings to the Mets. I mean, you can see obviously his defense is top is, is top drawer, and his leadership. I mean, you know, I don't think you can underestimate how much his leadership. Whenever mm-hmm. there's a crisis on the field, you see him in the middle of trying to talk, you know, of trying to talk positively to his to, to his to his teammates. I mean, he's been. He's been a positive influence on this team. I mean, I get it. You know, a guy gets paid that much money, you expect him to be Superman. He hasn't been Superman, but he has been a very effective player, and I think that that's really been, you know, I think a, a real loss for them. But, uh, you know, the lineup is, is intriguing because there's a lot of guys who, uh, you know, you know Peter, Peter Alonzo is intriguing, and Jeff McNeil is, is starting to catch fire. Uh, the one that's, really, that, that, that's a real puzzle is Michael Conforto, who, we, every, every, you know, we all have always kind of assumed was going to be a future batting champion. He's been mired in just some horrible, streaky slumps this year. Um, but, you know, if there comes a point where they put it all together the way they did in 15, I mean, that's the thing, you know, for a Mets fan, if you just look at 2015, and yes, you, you know, you win assessment has came in and, and made that lineup a lot deeper. But the fact is that they're, 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 over a two-month period, everybody started, started to hit at a time when you know, previously they'd either been hurt or just been ineffective. And sometimes that's all it takes. 
it's amazing to me, Mike, this is a time of the year where there's so much going on. You got baseball going on. You got training camps in the NFL opening. You got the NBA draft coming up, uh, I think, the day after tomorrow. There's so much activity going on. I'm just wondering how you keep up with it all. Well, it's like uh, anything else, Howard. I mean, New York's New York sporting calendar, if you wanted it to, uh, you can certainly write 365 columns a year. Thankfully, uh, I don't have to do that, but uh, sometimes it feels like I do. And that's the, but that's the fun part about working here is the fact that there's always something. You know, I mean, you don't have to, there aren't a lot of days you wake up and you say to yourself, wow, there's really nothing going on, because there's always something going on. And there's always somebody who's unhappy. There's always somebody who wants to be traded. There's always somebody who's in the slump. There's always a coach who's on the hot seat. Um, and uh, that's kind of part of the fun of it. Yeah, well, when it comes to the two football teams in town, the Giants and the Jets, you start with the Giants. Uh, they added Kenny Galladay uh, in free agency. They, they draft Kadarius Tony in the draft. That adds to Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and, and Evan Ingram to the receiving core, which has been upgraded. But it's all on Daniel Jones. I mean, this is a make-or-break year, in my opinion, for Daniel Jones, don't you think? Oh, 100%, because the Giants are going to have to figure out if they want to commit to him. Uh, reasonably long term, and I think that that's uh, you know it's it, it, it's all on Jones how to perform. I mean, there have been moments when he really does look like the quarterback of the future, and then there are moments when he just looks like a complete ham and agger. And uh, you know that has to be defined. You know, I mean, you can you can go through your uh, your your starts and stops as a young quarterback for a year or two, but you know by year three, which is what 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 you know where Daniel Jones is, they need to know what they have in him and. Uh, I think they want to believe they have a franchise quarterback in him, but you know the thing about quarterbacks is that you better be right because if you're going to commit uh, as much money as franchise quarterbacks command, uh, you can't be wrong. And uh, so for that, uh, you know, for that alone, I mean, it's not you know Daniel Jones' performance isn't just going to be imperative to what the Giants do this year, but what they do across the next you know five, ten, twelve, thirteen years also. Uh, Mike, you look at this giant team, and I just talked about the the wide receiver core, which is pretty solid, but this is a very young offensive line, uh, and that could be problematic. Uh, We'll see how it all shakes out. But now there's the issue about Saquon Barkley. The Giants don't appear to be in a big hurry to get him into the flow of the action, and I'm wondering if there's still concerns over the injury from last year. I'm sure there is, uh, you know, but, but, you know, this really goes back to the original question with Saquon Barkley. I mean, you know, why do you make the running back your featured pick that year when you have uh, pretty much the pick of the litter? Um, and you know, this 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 is always one of the problematic you know part things is that running backs get hurt. Running backs expose themselves to getting hurt, and you know, you then have to ask the question: How much of your uh, you know of, of your of your team, your future, your salary cap, all of that? Do you want to? commit to a running back because they really are I don't want to say that great running backs are a dime a dozen it's not quite like that but you can find running backs elsewhere as opposed to the top of the draft and that's the thing you know then I think what the Giants want to do is try and you know preserve him as long as they can and not expose him to uh, you know to the rigors of what, of what what the job is but at some point he's going to get out there at some point he's going to get tackled at some point he's going to get hit at some point he's going to go down in an ugly fashion and he's going to have to get up and you know, it's, it, you can put that off as long as you want, but uh, that's really going to be a really, a, a really, you know, important question for the Giants because he, you know, because you made him the second pick of the draft, he's always going to have that other part attached to him as opposed to, you know, not, not just his production, not just, you know, what you expect from him, but, you know, what you need for him to be. 
is another side of it too. I, I speak to Bill Parcells on a somewhat regular basis, and he knows a little bit more than I do about football, just a little bit more. And I said to him, "What do you, Saquon Barkley? What's your opinion?" He says, "I think he's a terrific back on the outside." But he would like to see him run more on the inside to kind of make him even more dangerous when he goes to the outside. Now, uh, Saquon Barkley hasn't demonstrated the ability to run between the tackles. And now I've already mentioned you got a young offensive line. Uh, what's going to change? Yeah, that's really a chicken or the egg question right now. It just means, uh, you know, how much of his ability to run inside is, is his own inability and how much is the fact that the Giants have had a you know, kind of a makeshift offensive line for most of his tenure there. Uh, but uh, which, which, which is why so much of what the Giants do is going to probably grow from what you know from, from how the offensive line develops because you're not just talking about that helping Saquon, you're also talking about that helping Daniel Jones, and you're helping you're talking about the entirety of the offense, and that's such an important part of you know what the Giants try to do and who they're trying to be. Uh, it's it, it's going to be just an enormous question they have to answer and answer pretty early in the season, I think. Let's go across the other side of the stadium to the Jets. Uh, I mean, we, we know the story. Uh, the Jets have been criticized for years. The management's been questionable. The hiring of head coaches has been a disaster. So now uh, now they, they hire Robert Sala, who comes with a lot of accolades from everybody that's been around him in the past, particularly in San Francisco. So here's Robert Sala now, charged with the responsibility. He's basically a defensive coach, but yet he has no problem with the offensive side of the ball. Now you've got uh, Zach Wilson at quarterback. You've got now five quarterbacks have been drafted by the Jets in the last, what, eight or nine years. They trade Sam Darnold, and everybody I've spoken to in the media in New York, it's been split down the middle. Half said they should have traded Darnold, half said they shouldn't have. Well, we're not going to wait long because the opening game of the season is going to be in Carolina where Sam Darnold and the Panthers are going to meet the New York Jets. Yeah, it's uh, almost poetic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, look, I mean, I, I, I think both these realities can be true. I think Sam Darnold can still um, have a good career, and I think it's possible that, that that would never have happened in New York. I mean, I just think that sometimes uh, you just reach a point where you realize that for both the player and the team, you just need a fresh beginning, and I think that's kind of what happened with Darnold. Um, you know, but that uh, – that doesn't mean it's going to work out halfway ever after for the Jets because they obviously need to make sure that this quarterback uh, works out for them. They need to make sure that they're able to kind of have a you know a good relationship develop pretty quickly between the new coach and the new quarterback. And uh, you know it's it's been an endless search for the next Namath, and uh, it's kind of an unfair thing to ask you know kids to to want to aspire to be the next Namath, but that's really what you know the the Jets' goal standard is, and so that's what they've been searching for all these years. And, you know, whether that's Kenny O'Brien, whether that's Chad Pennington, whether that's, uh, you know, Sam Darnold, or whether it's uh, Zach Wilson. It's going to be an interesting thing to see uh, how this particular player uh, responds to that. No, there's no doubt. We're taking a bite of the Big Apple with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. Joe Douglas, the general manager, has designed a strategy, and he's followed that strategy. He is surrounding Zach Wilson with a lot of offensive weapons to support him. He surrounded Zach Wilson with a lot of speed. And one receiver uh, that they drafted, Elijah Moore, has got everybody in Jets camp just screaming, wow, uh, he's got great speed, he's got great hands. Uh, and they've they put together maybe their best 
receiver core that they've had in quite a while. Uh, it's going to be running back by committee probably, but the concern that there is for the Jets is the defense, particularly the secondary. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, uh, you know, it almost seems like they've been having the same having to answer the same question for forever on on that right i mean that's that, that's uh with rare exceptions obviously it's uh it's uh, been an achilles heel for them for, for for decades you know that as well as anybody and uh you know it's it's like i mean here's the thing with the jets though i mean they, they, they're i i think they're better now than they were at the on, on final day of last year but it's still a process i mean sure. this is i i don't think anybody believes this is going to be the kind of uh, you know uh, complete turnaround from you know worst to first that we've seen elsewhere. Uh, this is going to be this is going to take a couple of years, and I think that that's certainly one of the aspects uh, that needs to be addressed. Here's what my question is to the Jet fans: the over and under in Las Vegas is six and a half. The amount of wins the Jets have. Well, suppose they win six games. That's a four-game improvement. Is that going to be enough to satisfy the Jet fans short term? Well, if it doesn't, then Jets fans are delusional because, I mean, don't forget, I mean, this is a team that a year ago was was, was having legitimate, uh, was a legitimate possibility of going 0-16 um, and very least finishing with the last, with, with the worst record in the, in the football. Um, you don't often see a team reverse itself like that. Now, they won a few more games than they were supposed to and probably a few more games than Jets fans would have liked to have seen. Um, but, uh, look, I mean, I think... I think you, you, you do take these things incrementally, and I think what you want to see, especially with a brand-new co-ar quarterback and especially with a coach who's never coached a, a down as a head coach before, uh, you want to see that, that, that you're heading in the right direction. And I think that, uh, more than anything, has to be the goal about, you know, for people who care about this team right now. Yeah, I think that the, the, um, the key of a, a good defense, can they put a lot of pressure on the quarterback? Uh, can they get to the quarterback? Well, that, that defensive front with Lawson – and Rankins and Quinn and Williams and Vinnie Curry looks like a pretty good lineup on paper. The question is, uh, well, the, the question's right behind him. C.J. Mosley, is he going to be the C.J. Mosley we remembered from a couple of years ago? That's going to be a big key. Boy, Mosley is as puzzling an athlete as we've had, right? Because we, you know, we saw him pretty much at, his, at the peak of his powers for a half of one game, <laughs> which was the opener two years ago, and he looked awfully good. Yeah. And he looked like he was worth every every penny, you know. And then he gets hurt, and you know he kind of disappears, and then he and, and then he opted out last year. So he's kind of like the shadow in the back of uh, of your mind. You forget almost that he's on the team, and you forget you certainly forget just how good he was. And uh, you know that you know there the, 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 the was a lot to be said for if he could actually approximate what he was, for, you know, prior to his arrival here. Uh, that would really make a you know make a huge impact on a team that that needs positive you know positive leadership and I think that's one of the things that a lot of you know Jets fans ought to look for is to see what he's able to do as the season progresses. I saved the best for last, and when when you look at uh, all the franchises in New York, uh, if the Jets or Giants wins a Super Bowl, it's a big deal. The Rangers win the Stanley Cup, it's a big deal. If the Mets or Yankees win the World Series, it's a big deal. But if the Knicks win an NBA championship, it's going to be monumental, and you know that. Uh, the Jet fan, the, the Knicks fan base is extremely loyal. They get 19,000-plus every night at Madison Square Garden. It's not a question of are they good or they bad. It doesn't make any difference. But right now, you got the, the, uh, the draft coming up Thursday. The Knicks have two picks, number 19 and 21, 
But I think it's more about that. Are they going to package the picks to try to trade up? And then free agency opens August 2nd, and that's the biggest thing because, as you well know, their target's always been a point guard. So does that mean Kyle Lowry? Does that mean Chris Paul? Mike Connolly? Lonzo Ball is restricted. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie presents an interesting possibility. Dennis Schroeder? Uh, Reggie Jackson? I mean, there's a long list, but it's clear to me that the Knicks have got to come out of this preseason with a point guard. I don't think there's any question about it yet. Yeah, keep Derrick Rose but not as your starter. Derrick Rose was, was, was never better than he was during the uh, period where he was coming off the bench and he was you know, allowed to finish the first half, allowed to finish the, you know, the fourth quarter of games. Uh, it minimized the impact on his knees, and he was fantastic. Uh, you saw a different Derrick Rose when he was essentially asked to be a starting point guard, you know, sit back down, get back up, a, little, a lot less effective. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's... But then the Knicks have been in search of, the, of, the, of their next great, you know, in the same way that the Jets are forever looking for the next Damon. I mean, the Knicks have been forever looking for the next Clyde. In so many ways, all due respect to Derek Harper and Mark Jackson, who have had nice stretches with the with the Knicks. But, but uh, you know, that's that's clearly what they need. It's clearly what their number one priority is. And look, I mean, it's an interesting time for the Knicks because, you know, for the first time in forever, we're not just, you know, blowing off the season past. I mean, the season past was one that was celebrated. That should have been celebrated. That was a lot of fun for, you know, those of us who were able to write about it and for a lot of Knicks fans who have been yearning for a team like that, despite how it ended. Even how it ended, I mean, I think Knicks fans feel better now than they did when it, did, when it happened because of what the Hawks went on to do. So, I mean, but, 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 but you know, now it's, now it's a matter of taking that and building on it. And the way you build on it is getting, is getting a point guard you can rely on. And, look, there's no one no-brainer choice here. You know, there's not one... You know, a 28-year-old, unrestricted uh, guy who would just, you know, I'm either picking the Knicks or I'm not. Um, There's a lot of factors that go on, whether you're talking about longer-than-tooth guys, whether you're talking about guys who are restricted, whether you're talking about guys you have to trade for. And so that makes it a little more interesting. But I think it's clearly a a priority the Knicks have to have because they just can't go into this with Alfred Payton again next year. Yeah, well, Tom Thibodeau deserved Coach of the Year. Uh, 41 wins. They finished fourth. Now, that was last year. Finishing fourth is going to be considerably more difficult because now we know about Atlanta and they are, they are on the way up. Uh, you got Indiana now with Rick Carlisle. They're going to be better. You've got, uh, I mentioned Indiana. You've got Boston that you know is going to be a factor again. Pat Riley is very impatient. He's going to pull the trigger on some big deal to get Miami more relevant again. So getting fourth in the East this time around it's not going to be easy. You got Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn in front of you. Uh, I, I think the Knicks are clearly uh, heading in the right direction. The question is, what do they do with the assets they have, the money that they have to spend to make this a better team? Yeah, it's possible they could. They, they, they could still be heading in the right direction next year and finish seventh or finish, you know, finish ninth and be in the playoff game. That's just the, 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 the nature of the beast and it's the nature of of the incremental steps you take going forward. I mean, just about everything that could have gone right for them during the regular season last year did. Uh, that's not necessarily just something you can rely on next year, especially when the season is back to being 82 games. So, uh, but it's all big, you know, this is all part of the process. It might be, you know, <laughs> you know, in some ways it would have been easier to sell if they just would have had, you know, a small bit of progress to say 31 wins this year, but they didn't. I mean, they had this as an enormous step forward that, uh, 
I think the first reaction is going to be you want to see them build on on exactly what they did this year, which might not be doable, but I think they are going to be in a better place at the end of next year than they were at the end of this year and certainly where they were when this group started to to try and revamp things. Hey, you look at the acquisitions of free agency. They went after LeBron, fell short. Went after Durant and Irving. It didn't work. But now I think uh, they're better equipped to attract uh, a big-name free agent than they have been in the past because they're heading in the right direction. What does that mean in terms of a free agent? I mean, I, I don't know that Kawhi Leonard is even in the ballpark. Uh, I don't think that I don't think, I don't see Chris Paul. First of all, I don't see him leaving Phoenix. He's got a good situation there. They're a team that is a contender, and I don't sense that necessarily. But you know, I've been wrong before. But I think they have a chance. Does that mean? Look, is Julius Randle? Should he be the main go-to guy? Maybe, but I still think they need a big-time player alongside. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, you're not going to get to where you want to go with Julius Randle as your number one. You might get there with him as your number two or number three. Certainly, as your number three. Uh, but uh, you know, when, when, they, when they do make their, their 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 next big breakthrough, uh, it's not going to be with, with Julius Randle as their primary guy. That's, I, I think I think even even rabid Knicks fans would would would, uh, would concede that much. I looked at Las Vegas. Las Vegas has got. Um... They have the pick to win the NBA championship next year is Brooklyn. Number two is the Lakers. Number three is Milwaukee. I scratch my head with the Lakers because I don't know about how you can rely on Anthony Davis when you couldn't rely on him this year. Uh, LeBron's going to be 37 years old. Uh, I think they're a good basketball team, but I don't put them among the top three going forward. Brooklyn, I mean, the last time I heard Kevin Durant, he was going to Nike to get one size shoe smaller than he had before. So this way, the three would count. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think you have the same issues with the Nets that you do with the Lakers, though. I mean, I think I don't think it's possible that you could ever guarantee that all three of those guys could be healthy, you know, for the entirety of a playoff run. And that's what cost them this year. And, you know, unless they can figure out a way to, 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 to bubble wrap those guys uh, during the playoffs next year, I mean, I think it's going to be an issue for as long as they're together because they're – as, as extraordinary as they are, they're you know they're long in the tooth, and what happens to basketball players who are long in the tooth is you want them seeing them in street clothes a lot, and you saw that during uh, the playoffs for the Nets this year. I mean, you know, until proven otherwise, it's got to be a concern for them too. Yeah, Brooklyn's intriguing. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens with Spencer Dinwiddie because I believe Mike, if he were healthy last year, they don't pull the Harden trade. I think you're right about that. Um, look, I think Harden's a better player, but I mean, but you know, Harden brings a lot of a lot of uh, questions because I mean he is injury prone now, and you would think it looks. I mean he never was, but you know you certainly look at his body and you look at his body of work this year. Uh, it, it, it's going to be hard to say that you can say with with with, with confidence that he's going to be ready to go. You know for an entire two month playoff run. Appreciate your time as always, Mike. Love your insight. You, uh, you stay safe. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. Good talking to you as always. Same here, Mike Vaccaro, the New York Post. We take a bite of the Big Apple. Folks, have a great day. Stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.